your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me here in the Sportsnet studio is my buddy Harmon Dial. Harmon, what's going on, man? Nothing much. Thanks for having me. This is exciting. I'm glad we finally got to do this. It's been a while since we chatted. I think um, I the think last one was over Zoom. The last time I had you on the PDO cast, it was the night of the 2021. I don't know all the years. It was 2020. Yeah. It was the night of the uh, infamous OEL trade, of course. Yeah. And so we waited a couple hours after the draft happened, after all the draft night trades came through, just to kind of let it all sink in. And then we sat down and we talked about OEL and the trade that Canucks decided to make. It was a it was a fateful night. I feel like yeah. You know, this organization has done a lot of short sighted kind of trying to take a shortcut to get ahead quickly and and paying for it in the long run. But I feel like if you go back to that move in particular, it's like a it's a real crossroads moment because right now, if you just if they just hadn't done that, not only would they have that that pick that wound up being Dylan Gunther, but they'd have so much more cap space to not that they inspired any any reason to believe that they would have used that more wisely, but at least they would have had the option to to actually get good players with it. I know, and it was I remember we ripped into the trade pretty hard, and it's turned into one of the worst and. Probably in franchise history, the way OEL's play has trended this season. Yes. And the interesting thing about that trade, the other side that I don't think gets talked about enough, is when the Canucks let Tyler Toffoli walk, Mm. that created the lineup hole that... Because in that trade, the Canucks essentially, they were giving up that pick because they were were getting Garland, right? Like, OEL obviously... They valued him on the back end and they wanted him. But in terms of why they were giving up a top 10 pick, it was primarily because Garland had more positive value as a trade asset. Yeah, especially and with the money that was already, like exactly. the contract he already had, right? And yeah. so it's like, even if you go back and to that uh, offseason prior and you just like don't screw up on the Toffoli decision, which made no sense considering how cheaply he signed with Montreal, you wouldn't have been in a position to make that trade. I, man, I... You know, I'm thinking back to that conversation now because a big topic for us there was like we acknowledged how poor um, OEL's numbers were recently in Arizona at the time and like how bad he looked physically, especially in a lot of the elements where you need a modern day defenseman to to thrive in, like basically just moving around and skating backwards and dealing with speed and, and all of that. And we like acknowledged that when you talk to people, they'd be like, oh, like I think motivation was a factor yeah. here because it was such like a soul-crushing experience playing for that team and he'd be motivated coming to a more competitive market and you know playing with better players. And we left the door open for that, right? And then I feel like the first 15, 20, whatever games to start last year in his Canucks tenure, he actually looked better physically to my eye, at least. I was like, yeah. oh, like he's moving around better. Like, oh, maybe there's something to this and the numbers were better. And then it's been like a slow decline from there to the point where you've gotten this year where... I don't think like people around the league necessarily realize how bad of an asset OEL is right now, right? Yeah. Like I've seen a lot of people like, oh, like you know, you can attach him to this or that, and and someone else will take oh. him on. It's like he's making ten point five million in actual dollars next year on his on his base salary. Like that's what team and he's is inheriting that? Like it's yeah, it's it's not it's an unmovable deal basically, unless like everything, all the stars aligned, and, and that's just not happening. And not to this. Not that this Canucks team, the way it's shaped right now, could be affording to part with futures to get off of any money to begin with. I know they, they yeah. gave up a second or whatever to get to get off of Dickens's deal at the start of the year, but it's it's so miserable. Not, we weren't even planning on talking about the Canucks to start the show. I don't know why I went down that <laughs> down this rabbit hole, but it's it's just like it's something that I don't see talked about enough. Maybe maybe it is by by other Canucks yeah, outlets, it's, but it's it's just really interesting too because 
kind of like you mentioned, I don't, I don't even think it was necessarily just the first 15, 20 games. The entire last season as a whole was pretty solid from kind of right. playing matchup minutes instead of um, having Quinn Hughes in that sort of role. And him and Tyler Myers together drove pretty solid two-year results, kind of played top lines and and did it to a break-even point, yeah. which I was like, okay, that's, that's pretty for, easy. Yeah. The, the interesting thing about that was it required OEL putting up the best defensive numbers of his career because he's always been more of an offensive guy. And so there was part of you that maybe wondered in the back of your mind that, okay, he's put up the best defensive season of his career. So even though like you look at his overall play and go, that's not his peak or that's not the best he's played, but in the absence of offense, like in his own end, that's the best he's ever played. So there was a potential risk for regression, I guess. Yeah. And we've seen that so far where he just looks like he can't move at all on defensive zone retrievals. And um, he, I mean, I think he's been a little bit better of late, but that's kind of, that, that's a really low bar considering how he started the year. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, related to that, I think it's an interesting thought exercise for us to, to talk about here because I haven't really fleshed out this idea. This is kind of like a, a half-baked theory or, or something I've been kicking around in my head. I haven't written about anything. I haven't talked about it necessarily much with people yet, but you know, I think the general theme around the league is, you know, scoring is up again. Like every team, like you're even looking at some of these teams that were so starved for offense in the past, like we were talking off air, like the Islanders or, you know, the Bruins beyond their top line or the Dallas Stars under Rick Bonus. And all these teams are just playing a different brand of hockey and kind of thriving offensively and playing more aggressively and focusing on quantity over quality with their shot approach and everything. And it seems like everyone can can almost score these days, right? Which makes you think that in a way, a player who can drive defensive results would become an even more valuable asset yeah. moving forward, right? Because you'd, you'd think like, all right, pretty much everyone can score these days. You can find players who can step right in, and if you put them in the right situation, they're going to score 20, 25 goals. If they're shooting from the slot constantly, which most teams are trying to focus on doing now, they're going to score a lot of goals, and, and it's easier to find those players. So prioritizing skilled defensive players who can actually drive defensive results would be more valuable. But I think we know that it's way less sticky year over year, right? Like it's almost situation-based. There's very few players in this league that from one year to the next consistently are driving results based on their defensive play. And so it's becoming more valuable, but I feel like that's going to lead to either a lot of bad decisions or like people valuing one-year aberrations with defensive metrics and paying for them and then realizing that it doesn't necessarily carry over to the next season definitely and I agree first of all there 100% is, is a shortage like I've um, you know in the past talked to coaches or, or executives around the league and I'm sure they love the offensive side of the game game but what drives them nuts a lot of the times is they feel that they miss that um, the, the sort of player that can shut down the opposition's best players and right. play the, a lot reliably in their own end you know what I'll say to that something that, that constant theme when you talk to people is someone you feel comfortable with in those situations where like every yeah. time they're on the ice, you're not scared as someone exactly. invested in the team's success that, oh my God, we're, we're in trouble here. Literally. And, and the other thing too is, which makes it more even, which sort of compounds the issue is it's so hard to evaluate defense. Yes. It's yeah. like, whether it's by the eye, whether it's, I mean, we know by the numbers, it's way easier to evaluate offense than it is defense. It's, there's just no easy way. It's kind of like goaltenders where not only are not only is there a shortage of high-end goaltenders, but they're really hard to evaluate. And so you end up in a sort of environment where it's tough to acquire that sort of skill set around the league right now. Yeah, it is. So what, what do you think is driving that? Do you think it is just our inability to 
properly evaluate it? Do you think it, I think part of it is I'm a big believer that being good defensively at that NHL level is so like effort driven or like if it's your responsibility to do just that, you can do mm-hmm. it, but then you're taking away offensively, right? It's always this like kind of like seesaw of how much you're giving away versus how much you're, you're putting up yourself. And so I'm, I'm, I'm really curious about why that is, why, like, cause it's true in different sports as well. Like I know in football, this is like a big thing in the NFL where like the the players who drive offensive results are generally like the quarterbacks mm-hmm. and those guys, we can better evaluate who's good and who's not. And so if your success is based off of that, it'll probably carry over to the next season. Whereas these teams that like are dominating because their defense is really good, we see them fall off the next year for whatever reason. And so it becomes much more precarious to bank all of your team's identity or success around that. But I know that I know that people around the league are like are are very concerned about it's like, oh, this is great, our team's scoring. But then like every time they're in a situation where they have to defend, they're like they're literally holding on to their butts. They're like, oh yeah. my God, what's gonna happen next? Well the one thing I would say is I think for starters, the minimum threshold for being a competent NHL defenseman in terms of how well-rounded you need to be and the tools that you have to to succeed is so high that I think it's created a barrier of entry for like a tougher barrier of entry for players who otherwise would be considered defensive stalwarts. Like you look at a player like Luke Shen, right? And obviously he's kind of resurrected his, resurrected his career in Vancouver. Yes. But he's the classic sort of example of a player who 15 years ago would have been looked at as, okay, he defends the front of the net really well, um, clears out rebounds, defends the cycle and and below the hash marks really effectively. Um, He's someone that you can sort of trust defensively, but as the game has gotten so much faster, his foot speed and, and... you know, all the other elements, like what he can do with the puck, those started being exposed early in his career. And obviously, like, even for a player like that, who Shen on a good team is a third pair guy, he isn't even someone you could point to as you could really lean on him in a top four role. Even for him, he had to put so much work into the past uh, handful of seasons, working on his poise with the puck, working on his short outlet passes, working on his skating. So I think that's a big part of it is the players that would typically be your shutdown guys, like whether it's skating, whether it's what they can do with the puck, they, they need to be able to do so much more that it's kind of caused them to be a dying breed. If that kind of makes right. sense. Yeah, totally. Uh, and then I also just think like defending is harder just in general, because obviously defensemen are more involved offensively, but you also see like in terms of offensive zone strategy, teams are way more fluid. They, mm. they move way more off the puck and so there are way more switches involved yes. in, in playing defense. And right. for example, a winger's responsibilities are way higher than just standing at the point like they maybe used to be. Yeah. And so I think just in general, that creates a tougher environment to defend in, especially because you don't have that many high-end goalies to bail you out anyway. Yeah. So like whether it's, you know, it may not necessarily be just about shutdown defensemen, um, but there are just a ton of factors at play here to where I think that's why we have so many blow, multi-goal blown leads this season, yes. for example. Yeah, no, that's true. And you didn't, you didn't even throw in the fact that, you know, more like the game is generally being played faster. You said that, but that leads to more like rush opportunities back and forth and you're just having to defend in space as well, right? So it's it's it gone are the days where you could just literally one, stand in front of your net and basically just do one thing. One more thing too is I think the tools that a lot of defensive defensemen used to shut down players have been taken away in part by the rule book. Good. Right, the way... <laughs> I mean, it's 100%, I agree. Yes. But back in the... Like, 
year by year, it seems like they've been cracking down on obstruction-based infractions, like whether whether it was a few numbers ago, the, a few years ago, the 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 slashes, anything yeah. touched touched any stick touching hands, gloves yeah. On, yeah. on the hands was now all of a sudden being called uh, the cross checks in front of the net, um, the hook hooking the the. It, the barrier for you can't obstruct guys anymore. Yeah, is the point. So it's made it harder to defend in that aspect too. So that's that's kind of working against these sort of like shutdown type defensemen too. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I was talking to um, I'm sure he won't mind me sh- sharing this. I was talking a while back with Calvin DeHaan, mm-hmm. who plays uh, this exact position in the NHL. Yeah, and um, and you know I think he sees the the bigger picture in the grand scheme of things. Like he's like a fan of the sport. And like when I post a video of like a cool skilled play, he like, he, he like, he likes it. He's like, this yeah. is great for, you know, I play in the NHL. I want the NHL to succeed and thrive. And so this is good for its long-term health. But he also like laments. He's like, man, like defending right now is, is so difficult. And like, he's like much more of a, yeah. like, he, like he's got decent puck skills as well, but he's like kind of your more conventional, like yeah. I want to sit back and block a shot. Exactly. And like, you know, like I think Calvin DeHaan would have loved playing like 15 years ago. Yeah. And then now like he's still, he's still good and he's still got value and he still provides positive value to his team, but it's such an entirely different set of responsibilities and such a higher barrier of entry. And he's like, it's just like, it's almost impossible to deal with some of these guys. Like you see Connor McDavid flying at you and you're not allowed to hook or, or slash him. And it's like, you almost can't protect yourself in that, in that way, right? And I know that people take their people like s- still hook and slash Connor McDavid yeah. and get away with it because they know that the refs can't call every single infraction. Like it happens, but yeah, you're right. The the barrier to entry, I think that's a good way to put it, is just so much higher. And the, and the quintessential defensive defenseman, um, or, or I shouldn't say defensive defenseman, the best shutdown defenseman, like whether you look at uh, Jacob Slavin yep. or um, or Amir Haskinen. They're kind of everything. Yeah. Like or Chris Tanev, they're they have a decent size to them, so they can win battles. They have the skating ability to defend the rush really well. They have really smart defensive sort of traits and, and have that instinctual awareness of um being able to in a scramble situation, I immediately identify the most dangerous offensive threat and be able to shut that da- shut that down right away, take away that passing lane or whatever. The, so it like requires everything. It requires the strength. It requires the mobility. It requires the reads and the intelligence. So it's it requires everything. I mean, the best defensive team in the NHL this season is the New Jersey Devils. Yeah. Their three best defensemen are in whatever order you want to rank them. Dougie Hamilton, Jonas Siegenthaler, and John Marino. And I think that perfectly captures exactly, exactly what you're saying. Like, they give up the fewest high danger chances, shots against, expected goals against, any single metric you could possibly think of. They're the best at it. And they do it based off speed, off of having the puck, off of pressuring you, as opposed to whatever defense used to look like back in the day. And so I, I think I would point to that as like yeah. a picture perfect example of because like guys like like Amiro Haskinen is like that guy's amazing and yeah. he's gonna do well in any era. Like we we saw exactly, we saw yeah. Niedermeyer do just fine yeah. playing play that way or Nicholas Lidstrom, right? But but these guys who like you just have to be able to do so many things to just stick around, especially in a top four role where you're not just a specialist, right? And so, it's it's tricky. And I think do you have another point on this. Yeah, no, I was just gonna say I, I love that you brought up the the pressure point. Yeah, was be, was because I think when you watch a team like the Carolina Hurricanes that defend well, I think you're at a point now where it's just like you can't give te- like you can't sit back and give teams time and space anymore and be like, all right, we're just gonna sit in our defensive structure and, and protect the middle. Like that doesn't work anymore. Right. The way to defend in today's NHL is you have to 
you is you have to be really aggressive about closing your gaps in the neutral zone, um, off the rush, and and playing this sort of style where um, even on a lot of penalty kills, it's, it's like you're constantly on top of guys and yep. you're not giving them any sort of leeway to um, to breathe. You're not right. giving them any time, which of course is a higher risk, higher reward sort of defensive strategy in the sense that if you get beat, then well, you're you're going to get exposed to a certain extent. But if you have enough of enough players with the speed, the work rate, and the overall intelligence of defensive reads and being able to understand and pick their spots of when to pressure and when not to, I think that's the strategy that you almost have to employ is you have to apply pressure back mm. on uh, on other teams' offensive attacks. Well, this is a good segue for us because what we wanted to talk about here is is something that you wrote about recently as as I love as you're as you're uh, you're branching out and you're dipping your toes into doing more national coverage as opposed to just focusing on the Canucks uh, with your written work at the Athletic is I want to talk about some of the best rookies we've seen th- so far this season now that we're especially we're getting into like the 25 game or so mark we're getting a pretty good sample of what these guys are capable of what they look like what their numbers are suggesting they're they're like and we're going to talk about Matty Beniers in a second certainly and I have a lot to say about him as well I really want to talk about Owen Power because yeah. I feel like this is a very natural segue. We just spent the first 15 minutes of the show, the show discussing exactly this concept. And now he is, he's six foot six or whatever, yeah. right? Like physically, um, he certainly passes the eye test of what your I- ideal of a def- defensive defenseman looks like. But actually, the way that he gets his results is in such a modern way, like just the way he plays, how he chooses to play, what he does out there. And so he's, been remarkably successful out of the gate but despite being so big and that being kind of like still the defining trait that i feel like people describe him with right it's like oh like look at this guy he's six foot six young defenseman this is exactly what every team wants to build their blue line around the way he does it is so modern and so cool to see and it's exactly what the future of this game is going to look like exactly and what i really like is that don granado hasn't tried to change Mm. owen power into playing a specific kind of um style like you look at what under um under Ralph Kruger with Rasmus Dallin for example they yep. they almost botched his development by telling him to sort of play a different style be more conservative um defensively and I think a lot of coaching staffs would have a tendency to look at a player like Power and I mean maybe not a lot but still some coaching staffs would look at his frame and sort of have this tendency to be left wanting more in terms of, oh, he's got to be more physical and we want him to really grow into a defensive beast. But yep. I feel like the Sabres have really looked at power skill set and realized that, okay, this guy drives his results with how with how well he plays with the puck on his stick, mm-hmm. really. Yep. Um, with the outlet passes in the defensive zone, in the offensive end, it's so cool watching him sort of move with and without the puck. Um, so smart. So pa- so patient, the way that he's able to pinch to keep plays alive in the offensive zone. You're seeing a player that's just so smooth, so confident, so poised. Um, and I really like that Don Granado and the Sabres have just let him be and like not tried to, you know, take a square peg and fit it into a round hole, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, we should say like with his reach and with his skating ability and stuff, I think he's going to be able to provide a bunch of defensive value going forward in terms of the traditional sense of like defending against zone entries and 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 with his frame doing all the stuff around the net that he's going to need to right especially as he gets older and he gets stronger for my money i, I still if i was like um 
if I was if I was a betting man, I would still if you were Thomas Drance. If I was Thomas, <laughs> if I was Thomas Drance, I would be looking at today's Division three college basketball lines and, and putting money in the note. Um, if I was a betting man, I would still favor Maddie Beneers, I think, in this Calder Agreed. race, just because I think we know that uh, voters like points. Yeah, it's like a very easy thing to latch onto. This guy scored a bunch of goals. He has a lot of points, and especially with the way the Kraken are playing these days, like it seems like they're going to be at least sticking around in this playoff race. Everyone's excited about how many goals they're scoring and how much better they look this season in general compared to last, right? So I think like from a story storytelling perspective, you can re- easily talk yourself into what a difference he's made for them this year compared to compared to last. And we're going to talk more about him in a second. I just want to yeah. stick with power here because I think for my money, I think he's been the most impressive rookie I've seen so far this season. And I say that because I think the degree of difficulty of what Owen Power is doing right now is really unmatched, right? Like, I I would say that for everything we just discussed, defending successfully and playing big minutes effectively at the NHL level at this position is so difficult to do, especially for young players because the set of responsibilities is so different probably from what you had to deal with from a... uh, a quality of competition perspective mm-hmm. at whatever lower level you played at, where if you're all in power, regardless of where you're playing before you come to the NHL, like you're almost playing a different sport than all yeah. of your peers, right? Like you can just, you can just dominate them in any way you want to. You come into the NHL all of a sudden, I think you do need to, to learn the intricacies of the position, knowing when to pick your spots, knowing where to be, what to do, dealing with some of these one-on-one physical battles where, I mean, he just turned 20 now, but basically a teenager where you're playing up against grown men and you have to box out in front of your net and, and deal with, like, you're, you're having to play down low against Sidney Crosby, yeah. who's got, like, the, the most old man strength of all time and, and can just, and knows every single little crafty trick and, and to, to do so without taking a lot of penalties, for example, which is something he's been able to do, is just so impressive to me. I think, I think playing defense at this level in the role that he's played is, the hardest thing to do. I guess like consistently being a good goalie is, yeah. is another thing, but I almost view that as like, that's not even like a, a skill really. That's like a, an environment slash voodoo slash luck thing as opposed <laughs> to something I attribute just pure skill to. So like what he's doing right now is the most impressive thing to me. I don't know if that's fair or not to say because of the degree of difficulty. Cause it's, it's not like we should be punishing Maddie Beneers for not being a defenseman necessarily, yeah. but I just, I just can't like, I'm so wowed by this guy every time I watch him play. Yeah. It's, the responsibilities that he was kind of thrust into when Samuelson went down and he was forced onto the top pair, he didn't skip a beat. It was so fun to watch um, Dowling and, and Power together. I don't think the Sabres necessarily wanted Power in a top pair role right away and, yeah. and being being able and being being in a spot to have to chew up all these minutes right away. But he more than passed the test. And you look at the two underlying numbers and how well the Sabres have been able to control play when he's been on the ice, the time that they spent in the offensive zone, uh, how little they've allowed defensively. It's been remarkably impressive. And you're right that when you look at the call to race, power's in a position, especially with Dallene quarterbacking the first unit power play, mm-hmm. where he's just not going to put up Calder like points, right? He's got 10 assists only. Exactly. Like that's why going into this season, power was such a favorite for the Calder, but I kind of looked at it and went, he's not going to play on the top unit power play. And it's so hard for defensemen to otherwise, otherwise put up a ton of points. Like Moritz Sider at least had the benefit of playing on on the top power play unit and being able, being deployed in a lot of these offensive scenarios. Whereas uh, power is kind of playing second fiddle to Dallin, who's been incredible from an offensive standpoint. So he's not going to get the same kinds of opportunities, 
But you're right in the sense of overall impact that he's been basically right up there with Beniers. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he's got zero goals, 10 assists, right? It's, 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 it's going to be tough to, to capture people's imagination with those numbers, especially if someone's not watching him every single you night. You have because to watch him to the subtleties it. of his game, especially, yeah. right? Like you're not, if you watch any highlight reel for the most part, like he had that one highlight reel assist against the Penguins earlier this year where he basically froze the defense and then got it over for like an easy tap in to someone on his team. And like that was like a national TV game and it was like a in a, in a crucial moment late in it. And so that makes the highlight reel. But for the most part, a lot of Owen Powers plays are going to be you know, me posting a, a YouTube mixtape of, of what he does yeah. as opposed to you turning on Sportsnet and seeing it the next night. Literally. And and that's the other thing about defensemen as a whole is I think, you know, maybe we have a greater appreciation for it of little things like, oh, he retrieved a defensive zone puck, beat one four checker and made a nice outlet pass. And yeah. in our minds, we're going, oh, that's a, that's that's amazing. We're just like... This, this is, is the sport at its absolute best. Literally, literally yeah. whereas other people, like, that, that doesn't... You know, it doesn't really stick out yeah. to, the, to the casual fan. Not that they don't appreciate it, but it's not as exciting as, um, you know, a bar down snipe or a pretty passing play off the rush. And it doesn't seem like it has um, as significant of an impact. But um, those little subtle plays, when you're able to compound them and consistently make them every shift when you're on the ice, um, it, it creates such a... Like, it's not easy to... I think the problem is a lot of times when those plays are made, you can't see the end result right. product of it yep. where it's like it may lead to an offense's own possession but maybe that doesn't lead to a goal right away but once you consistently do that it like tilts the ice in the long run um so the effect isn't as immediately pronounced and um i guess obvious which is which is why it kind of flies under the radar but yep. um that's what you need to be able to control play in, in the modern nhl is and it's why you have uh, a team like the canucks for example where they have a lot of these exciting forwards, but they don't have enough defensemen who can um, do the sorts of things that, uh, whether it's a power or a Jake Sanderson, look, what those guys can do to help drive the bus and get the puck in their forwards' hands. Yeah. All right, Harm, uh, we're going to take a quick break here. And then when we come back, we're going to keep talking about uh, power, Beneers, the rookie race. So uh, stick around for that. You're listening to the Hockeypedia cast streaming on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Povich, we're in studio. We uh, we're talking about the rookie race. So, I have a few more points on power here. That that fifteen minute OEL uh, <laughs> tangent at the start threw off threw off our timing here because yeah. I was like, oh, we're gonna talk a bit about Owen Power, then we're gonna get into other stuff, and like I have this long checklist of things I want us to discuss, and we're gonna hit like twenty five percent of it. So we're gonna have to have you back on in studio here soon to to get into all that. But let me give you a few stats here. I know that you had one in your piece about this rookie race that blew me away, which was that. Um, Powers third in in terms of entry passes yes. per game behind yeah. Roman Yossi and Eric Carlson, two guys who are yeah. known for being pretty good at moving the puck. Um, I have a few other stats for you here, though. He's fifth in the entire league in five on five usage. Wow! And uh, in, in terms of five on five minutes per game, he's twenty seventh overall because he's not getting all yeah. those power play one minutes. But with him on the ice at five on five, they're outscoring teams twenty eight to twenty one, which is actually I, I made this point on yesterday's show when talking about Rasmus Dali, and I know this is becoming like a, a Buffalo Sabres podcast here, but I think it's really important to know because if you just look at their win loss record, they just lost eight straight games. It's like, oh man, this team is so far away. It's just another year of the yeah. Sabres being the same old, same old disappointment. When they have one of those two guys on the ice, 
they're doing really well. Yeah. Like they're outscoring teams, they're controlling territorial play, like they're one of the better teams in the league. And then whenever they don't have them on, which is basically third pair of minutes, they're getting crushed. And to me, that's like a very easily fixable thing in the yeah. grand scheme of things. Like of all the things that you need to work on, if you have these building blocks in place, you can, especially with their analytic staff now that they have in, in Buffalo, you'll be able to identify some some undervalued third pairing guys that can give you minutes where they're at least breaking even. And if they were getting that right now, like they'd be they'd be winning much more than they're losing. And I think everyone would be talking about like, oh, the Sabres, they finally yeah. are where we want them to be. And so I think maybe it's a bit aggressive to say that they're going to be like next year, they're going to be the New Jersey Devils of this year. Because yeah. I don't think like it's fair to expect anyone to make that type of mm-hmm. leap. But really, like with slightly better goaltending and slightly better play on the margins with like their bottom six up front and their third pair on the blue line, like I think this team can get good really quickly. And maybe, sure. they sh- maybe they shouldn't be sacrificing the future to try to accomplish that, like take the long view with the ages of these guys. But I really think the number of moves they need to make to get good is is probably pretty surprising to people who are just looking at their win-loss record. For sure. And they have so many talented young forwards that those guys are only going to get better, whether it's, I mean, seeing a line with Dylan Cousins, uh, JJ Paterka, and, uh, and Quinn is, you're, you're like, man, you can keep those guys together for the next 10 years and they're, yeah. they're going to terrorize uh, opponents. So those guys are going to only become a more f- formidable force. And especially when you have that top line rolling the way it has been this season um, with Tash Thompson, who at this point right now, I think he's my third favorite player to watch in the NHL behind um and that's two, that, that's, that's that's two rankings too low in my opinion. <laughs> it might be actually what he's, he's doing every night is just it's it's comical. It's like Tage, please just take one night off from embarrassing the other team. Literally, like he he belongs in Cirque du Soleil yeah. the way that he's pulling up pulling out these bag of tricks in the offensive zone. But yeah, like when you have that top line in place and you have two massive building blocks where those guys can separate or th- those guys in um, Dallin and Power can anchor. Um, top four pairings each and you've got young forwards coming through the rest of the middle six who are only going to get better you've got infrastructure there to where if you are able to in the offseason add around the margins um, fix fix around the edges if you will that they can next season take hopefully a bigger step because man it's it's they deserve the vibes there in in buffalo they do well and here's one final stat on them so there's been 630 players in the nhl this year that have played 105 on five minutes He's 615th out of 630 in shot attempts per minute in his own, how often he himself is shooting the puck, Mm -hmm. right? With him on the ice, the Sabres are generating the 52nd most high danger chances out of that 630. Yeah. And 59th most expected goals per minute. And the reason why I bring that up is because I feel like this player was created in a lab for what I want (laughs) <laughs> my defenseman to do yeah in that it perfectly illustrates he I, like just watching him i feel like in the offensive zone he makes the correct decision 99 percent of the time and some of the times i think it's the wrong one as i'm watching it live i'm like no no he should have done this and then he waits two seconds and he makes an even better play that he like saw materializing and he had the patience to wait for it and and that's what i love about him right like and it's very stylistically different because Rasmus Dahlin is just like firing away whenever yeah. he's out there. And that's fine. I think he's he's got more finishing ability than yeah. Owen Power necessarily at this point. But what I love about him is is he's driving these offensive results, right? Like I just said, they're 
they're producing a lot when he's out there. They're an elite offensive team with him on the ice. But it's not because he's just hammering away from the point. He's not forcing the issue. He's distributing the puck to where it needs to be, right? He's funneling the puck into the slot. He is... He's moving down. They're playing that avalanche style, like five man formation, where sometimes you'll just see him pop up at the goal line and then he'll come back up and he'll fill another position. Like he's comfortable playing all over the ice. And so it's exactly what I want from my defenseman. Not to mention that, as I said, he's playing the fifth most minutes. He's breaking even in terms of penalty differentials. So, like, he's not getting in trouble in his own zone and taking dumb penalties. Like, really, this player was created in a lab for what I want a defenseman to look like in 2022. And so I just love watching him so much. Well, that's the scary thing about power is he has a size and he has a skating, but it's rare to have those two plus the vision yeah. and the high-end smarts where a guy's always making the right read, always making the correct decision. Because sometimes I think we see a player like whether it's Tyler Myers or uh, Colton Pareko where they're gifted with the physical traits, but they're not necessarily the smartest players um, otherwise. Whereas Power has those traits and he's already, as a rookie, he the way he processes the game is like he's a 10-year vet yeah. with his decision-making, especially in the offensive zone. It's just like, he's so patient. He, he's so... His processing speed is just insane. And and like you said, when Buffalo came um, and played against the Canucks, yeah. there were a lot of plays similar to what you were kind of saying where I was like, is he hanging... I was like... You know, you watch him and watch him with the puck on the blue, and I'm, and I'm like, oh, I think he hung on to that puck for too long. And then it's just like he was waiting for the perfect passing lane to open yeah. to hit a guy in the back door or something. And it's just like, oh, like he's just he's just built different. So that's why he's so exciting. <laughs> I should say for the listeners because I, I one of the great parts about doing this in studio with you is we're looking at each other, we're we're hanging out. It's it's much more of a comfortable setting. You, when you said the sentence, you know, when you watch some of these guys play, whether it's a, it's a Tyler Myers and I actually see all the pain in your eyes. <laughs> and so uh, I'm not sure if that, if that was reflected through the audio medium, but I, yeah. I, visually I definitely saw it. Yeah. It's <laughs> that that's, well, that's why Tyler Myers is, you know, I won't spend too much time. Yeah. But that's why he's a little bit frustrating is because you watch his um, like, by the eye, and you understand why then NHL GMs sort of overvalue this type of players because with his size and with his skating, the way he moves around the ice sometimes, you're like, holy yeah, cow. What, can, what can't he do? Like, what yeah. can't he do? And he, a lot of times he's like jumping into the play offensively, mm-hmm. but then you look at all the other subtleties of his game, which aren't obvious, super obvious to the eye and, and until you watch him a lot and like pay attention to the details. It's like you watch him, but then you look at the results at the end of the day and you're like, oh man, they've been torched when he's been on the ice. And despite how active he looks offensively, he's got like four points the whole season, yeah. right? So um, yeah, it's uh, it's painful because like you see the potential and he was obviously called a winner in the, pa- in the past too. So there clearly was that potential for him to uh, be a really, really high-end potential top pair type defenseman. And he... Uh, unfortunately, hasn't been able to hit that uh, hit that ceiling. Well, and I think the key point there is, I think offensive zone decision making yes. is such a, it's really important, but almost like it's tougher to see how negatively impactful bad decision making yeah. can be compared to like, you know, a guy in his own zone, if he has bad decision making, it's like, all right, he turns it over and it winds up in a goal against within three seconds. And it's much easier to point to that and be like, all right, well, see, this is a problem yeah. for us. Whereas like a guy gets the puck at the point and 
if he just waits a second or if he decides to pass it down the wall to a, a open forward who can do something better with it, as opposed to just passing that up and then just hammering it to someone's shin pads, it'll just like lead to whatever the puck gets out of the zone yeah. or, or, you know, nothing happens in the next 30 seconds. And it's like, it's tough to point to that and be like, see, this is where they really messed up. But that keeps happening over and over again. And it's like, yeah, this drives negative results. and It's this really hurts. It's death by a thousand it is. Yeah, um, it really is. paper cuts yeah. really is what it is. Um, okay, enough about power there, although I really could do the full show on him, and I recommend everyone watches him. Let's talk about Matty Beniers, who um, I would say is probably leading most people's power polls yeah. or, or, or projections for, for rookies. He leads the Kraken in 5 on 5 points. He's got 15 of them so far. He's on pace for 36 goals and 75 points, which has been uh, fueled by a recent six-game point streak in which he has five goals, seven assists, and was most recently punctuated emphatically by a, an overtime winner seven seconds into a game against the Capitals. I I, I didn't want to like frame it from the lens of like, I love I love Owen Power, and that means Matty Benier sucks because it's almost like you yeah. have to take one side or the other, especially two guys who are in the same draft class and went one two right. It's always like one yeah. or the other, and I, I wanted to make the point that I think I, I like appreciate both guys because the top of this year's class is is so dynamic and so cool. Like these are guys who were nineteen at the start of the season who are playing meaningful roles for their teams and not only surviving and like hanging around, but like meaningfully driving results and thriving and doing so in very sustainable ways. And so that's really cool to see. And Benier is, I mean, playing a different position clearly is doing it a different way, but his resume right now is almost equally unassailable, right? Like he's producing offensively what you want to see. He's doing a lot of stuff defensively, which is unique for a young player. He's really kind of been the total package for this Kraken team. For sure. And I've been surprised at how quickly the offense has come to be totally honest with you i know he was second overall pick and you expected that um he would become a high-end top six producer at some point but i just didn't think it would be this immediate and obviously we saw it even when he um finished his ncaa campaign was kind of uh airdropped into the kraken lineup right and at a such a miserable point in their season he kind of gave them a little bit of hope in life yeah i i've been I think most impressed by his playmaking off the rush Mm. because I think knowing his resume coming up as a prospect, I'm not surprised at how effective his North South game has been and how quickly he closes guys, the speed, um, the assertiveness and being able to drive two-way results, how he wins puck battles, how he steals uh, pucks from yes. uh, opponents. That part of it I expected to be prevalent right away. I just didn't think the offensive production would pop that much. Yeah. And of course, like it was a couple times watching the preseason highlights, I was like, holy crap, the way this guy's shot. Like I didn't know he had that type of shot. Right. And then seeing some of the creativity with his vision um, in the offensive zone, the way he's able to delay sometimes or cut back. Um, I didn't know that he would have that right away. Well, it's interesting you bring that up because, in, like, and I think it was just maybe recency bias based on the preseason, but how, coming into the year, I was like, wow, this guy's going to be an elite shooter right away. And I yes. think he's going to score a lot of goals. I didn't know. And then he's going to be a great four checker. He's going to yeah. just, like, with his motor, he's going to annoy the living hell yeah. out of everyone he plays against. I'm not sure about his playmaking chops necessarily. Also, we didn't really know, like, the system they played last year, like, how point shot heavy their entire offensive approach was i was i just didn't know what type of offensive environment it would be and i've been blown away by his playmaking chops like what he's shown as a distributor like finding guys in space especially doing it like very quickly has been really impressive right 
I think for me, I, it's actually gotten to the point where I, I made this point a couple of weeks ago when we did a crack and deep dive here on the PDO cast, but I kind of want to see him like shoot more mm-hmm. in a way. Um, I, I believe so. The Kraken have had 19 players play 10 plus games this year. He's 19th on the team in individual five on five shot rate. Wow. I would um, not have guessed that. He's taking less shots than Will Borgen, than Alexander Wenberg, who's been like one of the most like yeah. unselfish, like I know. unwilling to shoot shooters of his generation. Forever, yeah. Right? And so, not that I'm saying like, I actually, I think a big reason for Seattle's offensive success so far this year, part of it is just like shooting percentage inflated. I believe yeah. they lead the league and that'll come down a little bit. But they're clearly like, being more selective, right? Like they're mm-hmm. trying to get the puck into these areas of the ice that lead to higher efficiency. And so that's been part of their success. So I know it's kind of talking out of both sides of my mouth where you acknowledge that and then say, oh, I wish he would just be more selfish and shoot more. Yeah. Um, but because of his shot, I really believe it is such a plus weapon for him that I feel like there's even more, um, there's even more like meat on the bone or whatever for him yeah. to score more as he gets more like assertive in that regard and starts taking on more responsibility himself. I, I doesn't necessarily need to sacrifice the playmaking to do that. Yeah. I feel like he'll find a happy medium between the two, but I feel like there's another level for him to fit, hit offensively in that regard. I agree. And it's kind of like you went, what you mentioned is just in, in the preseason, I got to sort of like watch the uh, crack it a lot. I don't know why, but that was what stood out to me. Like kind of like what you mentioned, I thought he was going to be, an electric um, goal scorer, and he, and he has found the found the Yeah, back. I mean, and he's that, on pace for 36 goals. Exactly. Like, it's good, yeah. Um, but uh, that's definitely an area where I I look at him and I'm like, I, I did not expect that his shot rate was was that right. was going to be that low. So you look at a player like that, dual threats in this, in, in this league where it's like, if you can shoot the puck that well and also set up that well, yeah. that's a, a really rare skill set to have out of a... Uh, out of a young a player, young top six centerman. So that bodes really well for his future. And obviously, in more recent times, part of the reason I think um, he's been able to distribute is because, you know, he's had, you know, someone like Jared McCann to play with yeah. who has an absolute weapon of a shot himself. So he's going to find that happy medium. And it's really impressive that um, he's at least even found the playmaking chops to... Because going into the season, I would have figured, like, if you're going to... I would have thought the fit would have been really important in terms of maybe you got to have a guy, have more of a setup guy with him on the wing who can give him opportunities to get that shot off in the slot. Yep. Whereas it's like, no, he can create on his own. Yes. He can set guys up. He can score on his own. So that makes him a really versatile player as well, which is important because you're inevitably going to run into injuries and sometimes chemistry doesn't work on other lines and you and you need to mix things up. And that's when that's where the value of Beniers' offensive versatility, I think, can be a real asset for the Kraken. Yeah, and you know we often say like, oh, you know, you have to put your young players in a position to succeed. Like cater cater around their skills. His skills are so diverse that it doesn't. I honestly can't really see a situation where you I know, put, like, you put him with anyone, and like, if you want him to just be like a, a checker and just like a grinder yeah. who just forechecks and keeps the puck in the other deep in the other team's zone, he can do that. If you need him to be the setup man, he's shown he can do that. If you need him to be the trigger man, I think he's got that in his range of outcomes as well. It's it's really cool to see such a young player do so well in so many different ways. And another stat I've got for you here: he's played 33 games so far last uh, compared to, like combined yeah. last year and this yeah. year, 560 total minutes. He's taken one penalty in that time, or wow. he's been whistled for one penalty. I'm yeah, I'm sure he's yeah. taken a few more, but um, I find that impressive. He's drawn 12 of them himself because not only is penalty differential another way to provide surplus value, but 
he does play such like an involved, tenacious game. It's not like he's just kind of skating yeah. around there waiting for the puck. Like he's going in there quickly. He's like poking away. He's trying to, you know, retrieve the puck. He's trying to just make your life hell, as I said. And he's only taken one penalty so far. Like that's that's to me remarkable. It shows discipline. It shows, I think, skill as well off the puck and that he's able to kind of get away with stuff and, and, and provide value that way. And so, yeah, that's, I think that's, he's, such a well-rounded player as well that if if you want to take him over power in this conversation, I'm not holding it against you. Yeah, I mean, just because of the two-way impact yeah. on top of how yeah. much offense he's driven, and of course how like for me when I looked at Seattle going into the season, I didn't think that they'd be in the playoff conversation because right. I looked at their goaltending goaltending situation. And I went, don't believe in that. Yeah. And I looked at their offensive group and I'm like, they're a deep team. I can trust on a lot of guys to produce, but I don't know if they have that apex sort of player at the top of their lineup to really um, be a really, really high-end, true top-line caliber producer. And that's exactly what Beniers has been. So that's why, even though I love what Power has brought to the table and Thompson and Sanderson as well, uh, Beniers is number one for me so far in the Calder Yeah, that's fair, that's fair. Um, wow, well, we're yeah, we're running out of time here. I was gonna be like, all right, we should talk about Jake Sanderson. I've got you know Stuart Skinner versus Logan Thompson. I've got I wanted to give Fabian Zetterlund some love. Wyatt Johnson, like the Cole Perfetti. There's so yeah. many, like this is like a really good rookie class, right? So I, I know every team wants or every fan base wants to hear us talk about their like favorite young player, and, and they deserve more respect. And I, I like all those guys. Like I, yeah. I, I just want to make that clear. But I guess we just we got sidetracked. You know when you. When you can talk about OEL for 15 minutes at the top, you you just gotta. You but, just have to. No, I I, I I think I think I hope that we did a good job of um of spinning it into like a kind of more game theory yeah conversation about defending at the NHL level yeah. and, and what it takes and all that. So, um, all right, let's uh, do, do you want to do a quick thing on on Sanderson? We do have a few minutes here. I think I think yeah. he's almost um, I'm sure probably Logan Thompson because I think he's going to win a lot of games Yeah, behind that team. I think he'll probably sneak into this like trifecta yeah. at the end of the year. I do think like if like for me, like I think the three skaters have pretty clearly been power Beneers in some order and then Jake Sanderson third. And honestly, it's not even, I wouldn't say it's Jake Sanderson's fault. It's just purely yeah. usage based. He's just been, he's been playing so much less than the yeah. Owen power that it's, it's not his fault, but you need to account for that. It is interesting though, because when I did the research for this piece that, He's played a lot less than power, but his matchups have been mm-hmm. mo- a lot more difficult in terms of how often he's had to play against top lines. Uh, I was looking at Hockey Viz's um, data there. So that is an interesting, at least, wrinkle in terms of his yep. usage where um, the you know qu- quantity and volume-wise, he isn't chewing up as much, but he is playing a higher degree of difficulty minutes. Overall, he's been Ottawa's best defenseman this year. Right. I think we all expected it to be Tomas Shabbat, but yep. he hasn't quite looked himself and obviously he missed a, a few games where Sanderson was elevated up the lineup and we got a glimpse into him essentially being thrown into the fire where yeah. all of a sudden he was like logging 25 minutes a night he was uh, quarterbacking the power play killing penalties defending top lines blocking shots and I was a little bit worried because sometimes when you put a player in that sort of position before they're necessarily ready um, whether it can impact their confidence level but he has not he did not skip a beat that was arguably like he played a couple of his best games of the season um under that uh duress yep so that's been really impressive and also to spend most of your next Travis Hamanick in yeah. a top four role like you're not getting a lot of help in that spot either well I was gonna say he's played 
roughly 85% of his five on five minutes with Travis Hamannick as yeah. partner. And he's been on the ice for more defensive zone draws than, than offensive zone. So those two kind of run counterintuitive to what your expectation would have been of like, they're going to really use this guy in and shelter him and play him in like a very yeah. offensively slanted role. And, yeah, I think purely for me, it's and we've seen it grow, right? I think that he had a stretch there while Shabbat was out, and then even when he came back, where he was logging like in the low to mid twenties yeah. in terms of minutes, and I just like want to see more of that before I feel comfortable adding him into the yeah. power conversation. But like from an eye test perspective, when you watch him, like his transition ability, both on yeah. and off the puck, is is so like so smooth. Like he just covers so much ground that. Um, like he's a one man for Jake Peter, right? And 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 he can and I've been impressed with how he's defending speed as well. So yeah, he's was, checking all the boxes. Just a matter of like I just need to see like more more minutes and more great. responsibility in that regard. But well, one thing I also wanted to mention because you you did allude to his ability to, to defend speed. Mm-hmm. Uh, our buddy Corey Schneider uh, with his data set, he's been Sanderson has been Ottawa's best defender this season um, at denying controlled entries, right. which to me I'm like. Is a rookie when you're when you're doing that, and obviously it's not like the Senators' blue line is is an art, is a piece of art in yes. terms of how they defend the uh, defend the blue line as a whole. But right. for him to kind of rise and be that effective at um, at denying that part of offense, it's uh, it's really impressive to see. In addition to his uh, transition and what he can do with the puck, I love it. All right, well. Harm, this was a blast. I'm glad we got to do this. Um, I'll give you a minute here to, to plug some stuff. Where can people check you out? And uh, and you can tell them about what you've been working on, including this piece that we we just talked about basically for the entirety of the show. Yeah, you can uh, find me uh, at The Athletic. I obviously cover the, uh, the Canucks, unfortunately. Uh, <laughs> for more Tyler Myers coverage, yeah. A never-ending tire fire. But um, I also write um, pretty regularly nationally. Wrote, obviously, about uh, the top rookies about a week and a half ago. And uh, just a couple of days ago, wrote a, a piece on... Um, Sort of doing an NHL panic meter, looking at te- looking at teams that many expected to be in the playoff race, or even in some cases, cup contenders. When you talk about uh, the Panthers, the Flames, uh, the Rangers, yep. who are below the playoff bar right now, and trying to analyze what's gone wrong and um, how worried their um, respective fan bases should be about uh, their playoff odds. All right, well, certainly check that out. I like that. We're, I, that was a. I was hoping we were going to get to that as well today, yeah. but uh, we'll have to save that for next time. This is a blast, man. We're going to certainly have you back on. Thank you to everyone for listening to today's show and uh, and hopefully you enjoyed it. If you did, smash that five-star button wherever you listen. And uh, yeah, that concludes another week here in the PDOcast. So we'll be back on Monday with more. Thank you for listening to the Hockey PDOcast here on the Sportsnet Radio Network.